0: 2 Timothy 3, I will um, warn you all that um, David and Deborah Fisher are listening via iPhone, so in your comments, please don't say anything hostile about them. Uh, So if you have that, just share that with someone privately afterwards. But um, we're going to try to talk the first few weeks. Uh, about the inspiration of the text, the inspiration of Scriptures. Lord willing, next time we want to talk about what does Jesus say about Scripture? We talk about imitating Jesus and following Jesus and being like Jesus. Shouldn't that include the way Jesus viewed Scripture? The way Jesus viewed the passages of the text. And so, we want to look at that next time and see how he viewed Scripture. And then we want to ask in a few weeks, how do we establish that? How do we prove that? Right now, we're looking at some things the Bible says about itself, okay? First, we have to see what the text says about itself. And we don't want to claim anything for the text. It doesn't claim But at the same time, after we've done that, does that establish that it is from God? And what would it take to establish that the Bible is from God? And can we prove that in Jesus? I I would say in some degree that that when we talk about Lord willing, when we talk about um, Jesus as uh, Jesus' view of Scripture, if you believe in the deity of Jesus if you believe He died and rose again, His attitude towards Scripture is going to be ours. So so in a way, that is also a proof. If we can establish that Jesus raised from the dead, then then we can establish um, what He said about Scripture is true. But tonight... Uh, And I hope we can do well with this. But this is the one uh, that I am uh, concerned about uh, the most, I guess. But we want to look primarily at two passages. And that is, in 2 Timothy, we're going to be looking at a moment in 2 Timothy 3. And we're going to highlight especially verses 14 through 17. And then we're going to be looking in 2 Peter 1. Now we want to incorporate other passages of Scripture, but these will be the main two texts that we will look at this evening. So if you're in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy 3, uh, Josh, would you want to just read verses 10 through 17? 10 through 17.
1: This is, I think I'm reading out of I Okay. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil (coughs) impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is god breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work.
0: Okay, very good, very good. So, as he begins, he emphasizes that Timothy has followed Paul in all walks of life. Not just... Uh, listening to his teaching, but he has seen his persecutions and his sufferings. He has followed him in all of these areas in verses 10 and 11. And he is telling Timothy that he's going to experience opposition, as we all do in some way, though I've never experienced anything that Paul did or (coughs) Timothy did. But he states in verse 13 evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to, wor- to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Evil people keep getting more evil, they keep getting further away from truth, further away from right. few years ago, I stumbled on an interview that 60 Minutes had done with Margaret Sanger in the late 1950s or so. Do you know who Margaret Sanger is? Some of you are shaking your head. She was the founder of Planned Parenthood. She was also uh, those who have examined her writings more and I have I didn't review this in making this statement because she was a pretty strong racist. But in the late 1950s as she's being interviewed by not by uh, CBS, the basic assumption of that news network was that morality is good, religion is good, how dare she question those things? Do you think that kind of interview would ever air on 60 Minutes today? And there are things that just a few years ago everybody accepted that now you've got to go back and prove it to me. And people are acting like they've never heard before. Men and women.
1: <coughs>
0: yeah, but I just use that as an illustration of while culture goes one way, Paul is telling Timothy, don't do that. Now, how can you avoid that? In verse 14, this instruction in, in, in light of the fact evil men go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, How can Timothy stay on a straight course? In an ever-changing world and a world that is becoming ever further adrift from God, how can we stay on the right course? He says in verse 14, continue in the things that you have learned and that you have become convinced of. He says to continue. That's the first word that I'm going to focus on. The word continue in verse 14. This word can also be translated abide. Continue in the things that you have learned. Abide in the things that you have learned. Let me go to a passage. Look at John 15. We'll go to a passage which uses this word quite frequently. And let's just see how it is used. In verse 1, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it so it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken. Verse 4, Abide in me, And I in you. It's this word. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides, same word, in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide, same word in me. Word abide was used three times. Same word, continue. Abide in Christ, abide in Christ. And uh, the the branch cannot bear unless it abides in the vine. In verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in you, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He who abides in me and I in him. In verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, You abide in Christ. You abide in Christ. You abide as branches in the vine. How do we do that? In verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. In verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. If we want to continue or to abide in Christ... A way to do that is to let His words abide in us. Let the Word of God dwell in your hearts richly. Colossians 3 and in verse 16. Now, uh, looking at this particular text, Paul says one reason that you can be sure of continuing in what you have learned and become convinced of is because of those you learned it from. Let me read verse 14 again. You, have, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of knowing from whom you've learned them. Now let me just ask you all. I picked out in, te- in the text... Three people or three groups of people from whom he had learned things. Who 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 are these in the text? From childhood, so. Okay. So that would
1: be mother and grandmother.
0: Mother and, and, grandmother. and grandmother. You remember the names? Eunice and Lois. Eunice and Lois. Which one's no which? No clue. I'm not sure myself sometimes. <laughs> so, so, but it's back like in 2 Timothy 1 5. Uh, Lois and Eunice. So first, it is his. Mother and grandmother. We'll talk more about that in just a second. Who, who else has, has Timothy learned these things from? Who has he learned these things from? Paul. Oh. Paul. Exactly. He's learned these things from Paul. He's learned these things from his mother and grandmother. He's learned these things from Paul. And who else? Where else? I should say maybe. From oh, Scripture. From Scripture. From Scripture. First of all he mentions in the context that he's learned from he's learned from his parents it says in the text here it says uh, from childhood you have known the sacred scriptures. Back in 2 Timothy 1.5. And we're going to find out the, the, the answer to the question Sarah didn't just a second ago. I'm excited myself about that. That it says I am mindful of the sincere faith within you. Which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois. And in your mother Eunice And I am sure that it is in you as well. His grandmother and his mother have helped teach him the ways of God. Where is the dad in this particular equation? Do you remember a passage that tells us about that? He's a Greek. Okay, he was a Greek. That's in Acts 16, verse 1. The way that is mentioned he was neither a Christian nor a Jew. He was not Christian, he was not Jewish, and in spite of that, his mother and his grandmother taught him the sacred scriptures from the time that he was from childhood. So from childhood, he knew these sacred writings. From childhood. Now, Many practical points can be made of that. First of all, wives, if your husband doesn't share your faith, you still can share your faith with your children and make a deep impression upon them that can change the world. That's one message. But the most important teacher... A child has in their early lives is their parents. To teach them, to train them, to direct them in God's ways. And if you are blessed to still have children at home, and there are moments, if you are that blessed, you don't always think it's a blessing. I understand that. But if you do have that blessing, make sure That it could be said of them from childhood, they have known the sacred writings which are able to give them wisdom. So he has learned these things from parents in 3.15. We have also seen from context that he had learned these things from Paul. As Josh read just a moment ago in verses 11 and 12, the text tells us that you followed my teaching, my conduct, purpose, faith, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings. You followed all of these things. He has learned from parents, He has learned from Paul, but but most importantly, he talks about the sacred writings in 315, an expression that is only used here. And the Bible talks about the scriptures in verse 16. Why is it, why is it that he can be convinced? of what his mother and grandmother said to him. Why is it that he can be convinced of following Paul's example and following Paul's life? Because they were pointing him to a greater source of knowledge, a greater... the sacred writings... Scripture. They were pointing him to the revelation of God. And this revelation of God is what we compare everything to. In Acts 17, you remember that Paul went and preached at Berea on the second missionary journey. And the Bible tells us the Bereans searched the Scriptures daily to see if the things they were being taught were true. Yeah, but the,
2: the consistency though... Paul and from his grandmother mother is the same thing that Paul described with that verse, first verse you had in Josh read was that uh, you follow my teaching from Scripture, right? But that my conduct, my aim, my life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, all of these things are in. Uh, Harmony? Yeah, harmony with what Scripture says. Absolutely. So the only reason that he has any proof that there's some validity to what they're teaching, but then also to Scripture, is how it's been demonstrated to him. Yeah. So that's, you can't have one without the other.
0: Yeah, yes, you're right. You're right. It's not like three separate things. You know, the, the, the first two point to number three. So you're exactly right. And, um, and but you from not childhood known these things now, any other thoughts right there any other thoughts he talks about the fact that these are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Christ wisdom that leads you to salvation we want to be wise we want our children to be wise how can we be wise as as tony was just saying we pay attention to the sacred writings we pay attention to scripture i want you to look in second timothy um 3 and verse 9. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 9, the Bible talked about they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all. He's saying this of Janus and Jambres that he mentioned in verse 8, who are believed to be the magicians that opposed Moses in the book of Exodus. But but the point is, in contrast In contrast to the folly of these in verse 9, we have Timothy continuing in the things that he learned, Timothy continuing the things that he learned, and it will manifest itself in wisdom. It will be wisdom, just as their folly is obvious to all. For those who walk in his way, wisdom will be manifest to all. Now, let me give you, let's look at an Old Testament passage that ties the word with wisdom. And then a New Testament passage. Look at Ezra. Ezra 7. Ezra 7. Okay, context. Who is the most powerful nation in the world at the time of the book of Ezra? Persia. Persia is the most powerful. And and there's a break between the first six chapters of Ezra, which take place about 60 years or so before Ezra 7. In Ezra 7, Ezra is going to be sent back. What, What is the purpose for which Ezra is sent back? Let me say it this way. Nehemiah was sent back for what purpose? Build the, wall. build the wall. He was sent back to build the wall. What is Ezra sent back for? Teach. To teach the law. If you want to make it kind of rhyme, Ezra to teach the law, Nehemiah to build the wall. But as Ezra is sent back to teach the law, verse 25, let's look at verse 25. Uh, Rachel, do you have that right there? Ezra 7, verse 25. I want you to see something that Artaxerxes says to him.
2: And you, Ezra, according to your God-given wisdom, set magistrates and judges who may judge all the people who are in the region beyond the river all such as know the laws of your God and teach those who do not know them.
0: Okay. Now, that was worded a little differently. It says, according to your God-given wisdom. Let me tell you what the New American Standard is, and I didn't check this out beforehand. Close. what was, what you said
1: You, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God, which is in your head, Okay. appoint magistrates and judges that they may judge all the people who are in the province beyond the river, even those who know the laws of your God. And you may teach anyone who is ignorant of them.
0: Okay. The wisdom
1: of God which is
0: in your hand. Ezra was sent by to teach the law. Later in Nehemiah 8, they're going to undo that scroll and all the people are going to stand in reverence before the Word because Ezra is holding scrolls that contain the Word of God. But the Word of God is the embodiment of wisdom. The wisdom which is in your hand. Ezra no doubt was a wise person. But also because he had in his hand the law of God. And because he submitted to it, But let's look at 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1 and 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians 1, 1 Corinthians 2 also deal with this subject of, of wisdom. And to verse 25... Uh, 1 Corinthians 1:20 20 through 20-25. Roman, would you want to read that?
1: Where is the one who
0: is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debate of the stage? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of which we preach to say those
1: who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly to Gentiles.
0: But those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God, and the wisdom of
1: God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than
0: men. Okay, very good. The Bible says that God has made foolish the wisdom of this world. And the world through its wisdom doesn't know God. But in verse, in verse 24 and 25, the, the, the cross that we preach is the power of God. It is the wisdom of God. Now look over in 1 Corinthians 2. We could deal with this more extensively. Um, already having a trouble balancing my time. I'm seeing that. Uh, So, in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. Listen. I'm not telling you anything that I don't think you already believe. My guess is, You wouldn't be here tonight at all if you didn't believe this. Right now, I just want to show you that the things you have learned are exactly right in this respect. If you want to be wise, if you want to imbibe the wisdom of the ages, partake of the Bible. Do you all know who Jordan Peterson is? Several of you know who Jordan Peterson is, and as I understand, he still would not definitely say he's a believer, would he? Is that is that correct? Some of your more recent. Well, he, he's definitely he's definitely leaving the door open recently, but I don't know if he's formally. Declared. But he says when somebody comes to him and says, "Well, I don't agree with the Bible," he says, "Forget it, forget it, twenty year old. This Bible is the accumulated wisdom of three thousand years. Listen to it, pay attention to it." Now, but my point is not whatever his spiritual standing is with God at the moment. But if there a man who generally lived his life as an unbeliever can acknowledge that, You know, we should listen to that. This is the wisdom of God that He felt necessary to direct us through life, to instruct us in the right path, to guide us in the right way and help us to be laser-focused on this particular message. let's go to verse 16. For verse 16 is at the heart of what we're saying. All Scripture, Scripture is inspired by God. Second Timothy 3:16. It is all from God. It is all a revelation from God. And it is profitable. Profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. It is sufficient. It is from God. It is sufficient for teaching. It is a direct, it is a guide to adequate teaching. In Matthew chapter 15 and verse 9, we see that some were teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And they are rebuked by Jesus. That is not a solid foundation on which to teach. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching. And for those who want to teach, for those who want to preach, and I hope there are some like that here, for those that are like that, yes, learn how to speak in the most effective way that you can. But the first thing you need if you're going to teach this book is not speech lessons. but blessings on the book you're teaching. Know the book. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching. Profitable for reproof. Profitable for reproof. Now one of the places this word is used is in Matthew 18. Matthew 18 verse 15 through 17. As the Bible says, if your brother sins against you... Go and show him his fault. Those words, show him his fault, have this particular word for reproof. How can we go and show our brother where he's wrong by Scripture? Scripture is inspired of God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. It is for correction. And this uh, is a word that is not commonly used in the New Testament. It is when we are misguided on the way and we need to, to have a better path. It is adequate for correction. It is adequate for training in righteousness. If we want something that is going to guide us in the right path, if we want something that is going to direct us in the right way, it is this. Now this particular word for training is used for parents teaching their children in Ephesians 6 and verse 4 to bring them up in the nurture, training, and admonition of the Lord. It is used for God disciplining us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, verse 7, and several other verses. But this word can train us in righteousness. And scripture is profitable, it is profitable for all of these things. Now, if I am misspelling something, uh, just understand uh, I, I'm pleading temporary insanity to lead to that. So, if you can if you plead that for a greater crime, you can plead it for a lesser crime. But profitable, it is profitable for these things. Look at First Timothy 4 verse 8 and let's look at that particular word profitable. The Bible tells us bodily discipline is profitable for a little time. Bodily discipline is profitable for a little time. Do you know that when you're eighty, that you have half of the lung capacity that you had at 20. Now if you eat right, you love celery, a lot of broccoli, mm-hmm. you exercise every day, When you're 80, you still have half the lung capacity (laughs) you had at 20. Bodily exercise or bodily discipline profits for a little time. A little time. But godliness is profitable. For all things, any benefit that you get from eating right or exercise is ultimately doomed to fail. But godliness is profitable for all things. And this word is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, For training in righteousness. So the man of God might be adequately equipped for every good work. Now let me ask you about that expression. Man of God. Let me first ask you in the Old Testament. Can you think of places where that term is used? Man of God. Okay, it it is is, used. Yes. Moses is spoken up as a man of God a couple of times, one of them in Deuteronomy 33, verse 1. Deuteronomy 33, verse 1, yes.
2: Elisha,
0: right? Elisha is quite frequently called a man of God. Do you remember, too, the story about the prophet who came down and warned Jeroboam about the altar? He's often called a man of God. The phrase, man of God, is used... It's used quite a bit in the Old Testament, usually of prophets in some way or fashion. You know, Moses was a prophet, Moses that Sarah mentioned, and then Mary mentions Elisha, and then the man of God in 1 Kings 13, but, but that phrase is used uh, with relative frequency in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the phrase man of God is only used twice. One of them is right here in 2 Timothy 3 verse 17, but the other is in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11. But flee these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Flee these things, flee covetousness in context, and pursue these other things. And he is described as a man of God. And if we want to be men of God, women of God, people of God, pay attention to the Book of God. Pay attention. Read it. Reflect on it. Think about it. I will say, you. I have been extremely blessed, and you know. Boyd has said this at times, Alan at times, Bob at times, that we have had the opportunity sometimes to have extra time to study. I do not consider that a curse. I consider myself greatly blessed by that. It is a joy. And it is a blessing not everyone has in their demanding work schedule. But whatever it is, we need to find a way to get ourselves in touch with the Word. Whether it be listening to sermons on the way to work, listening to the reading of Scripture, but, but find a way to make it part of your life, to build your life upon it. And it can equip us for every good work. Look at 2 Timothy 2.21. 2 Timothy 2.21. This phrase, every good work, was used there. If anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful for the Master, prepared for every good work. How do we become useful for every good work. In that context, we cleanse ourselves of sin and foolishness. And that's one of the ways. Here, it is the Scripture which is inspired by God, which is able to equip us for everything good. If there is anything good that we can do in our lives, Scripture somehow brings it to our attention, or somehow says things that encourages us in that pursuit. What thoughts do you all have right here? Tommy?
2: Uh, wisdom is kind of like a tree falling in a forest and no one will not to hear it. What good is that wisdom. Uh, and so God not only disseminated wisdom did it in a manner in which we all are able to hear it. But then also, if you hear it, but you don't get out of the way, we can talk about that this morning, it's going to crush you. Yeah. Right? And so, this wisdom doesn't do us any good unless we actually heed it, but then also trying to interpret from it, what does He mean by this?
0: It takes reflection, doesn't yeah, it? What,
2: what, does God, what does God think about this? Mm-hmm. And so, like, it's not going to get us to good works if we don't understand God. And God has said, "This is the way I'm to be understood." Yeah. And so, like, you have to read it with that intent of not just, not just words are passing between God and man uh, via a physical carrier like a prophet, but that that He is expressing His heart, His mind in these things. That there's nuance to why he says what he says and why he doesn't say some things, uh, and you know, why
0: he says good, what like, he does, the that's way not he what does of
2: scripture. But but that's not what exactly I'm talking about. That he you know that he's expressing some deep deep thoughts here. That his ways are higher than our ways. But that wisdom that you just talked about from First Corinthians chapter one, right? Where's the wise? Where, where's the scribe? That God is disseminating all of this to us. And that, that's what we ought to be seeking from Him and not just like a prescription of like, well, you know, I just blow out my bottle. I take my pills every day. You, know, I read my. you guys have a daily Bible reading. Well, why are you doing that? What are you doing that for? Are you just reading it just to read it because that is just passing words? But until you try to really wrestle with what He's saying and, and trying to really make it in, that it's finally going to pierce into your heart of stone and soften it up, Absolutely, it's not it's not made its full effect it, it, it's almost as if you weren't even there to hear it like a tree falling in the forest again yeah that it has to it has to pierce that because it's it's worthless without that
0: as tony is talking i'll tell you a verse that comes to my mind you can tell me where it is how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the path of sinners nor sit in the seat of scoffers you got it but his delight is in the law of, his, of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. What Tony is talking about is going to come through meditation to careful reflection and thought of what God has said. I will say this, and, and you can correct me afterwards if you think you see uh, examples of this Um, I have seen many people in the world who did not listen to God and were defiant of God who were what I would describe as smart. They knew a lot about some subjects, but I don't know how many people who have that attitude toward life I would describe as wise. You Think about it. If you... It, there may be individual examples that are that, that are contradictory to that Jordan Peterson may be contradictory to that but, but but my point is just that generally if somebody has a wisdom they have in somehow somehow gotten that from God now um, they're still going. Let's go just a little bit. I, I, don't know, I don't know if this is like a wrestling match with no time limit and no disqualification, but look at Second Peter 1. Second Peter 1, uh, since we've got a little bit of time, there's so many things I had in my notes that I didn't get to say, that, but, but um, you all have been very helpful with this. And, and again, right now, I, I'm not breaking you ground with you. I, I'm not, not saying that I am. But but let's look here at 2 Peter 2, 2, Peter 1, verses 16 through 21. 16 through 21. Ian, could you read that loudly for us?
2: <clears throat> for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as, a, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke
0: from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Okay, very good. Thank you. In first in 2 Peter 1, 12 through 15, is it breaking up? Yes. It it's breaking up. Let me say just a little bit. Just a little bit. I'm sorry. I won't keep you long. Um... Uh, But in 2 Peter 1, 12-15, he used first-person singular pronouns. In 2 Peter 1, beginning with verse 16, he uses first-person plural pronouns, we. He's talking about himself, Peter, Peter, James, and John. We did not follow cleverly devised hell. He talks first about the transfiguration. Now, let me say this again. I have said this in front of audiences for years, but every time I say it, I think I've missed something, so you feel free to straighten me out if I have. I can't think of another miracle of Jesus recorded in the epistles outside His resurrection but the transfiguration here. I mean, it, it doesn't specifically refer to Jesus opening the eyes of the blind epistles. doesn't. You understand what I'm saying? I, I think this is the only one this is a point I want to make, and we may try to start with this next time as we go into how Jesus looked at Scripture. But the word made, now follow the New American Standard Bible, okay? The New American Standard, 1995. In verse 17, it uses the word made. In verse 18, it uses the word made. This is how it is used. There was an utterance as this was made. To him, to Jesus, by the majestic glory. In verse 18, we ourselves heard this utterance, made from heaven. That particular word, made, is used twice in verse 21. It's used twice in verse 21, where the text says, same word, no prophecy of Scripture was made by an act of human will. But holy men of God, but, but men moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. The word move, the word move is our same word made earlier. Now, what's my point? This talks about the voice of God in the transfiguration. And you remember that God spoke at the baptism of Jesus, at the transfiguration of Jesus. He said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Just as surely as God spoke those words, as God made that decree. The Bible says in verse 21, no prophecy was made by an act of human will. It was not human invention. This is a negative statement. It was not made, not made by an act of human will. But in contrast in verse 21 it says holy, it says men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. That is a positive statement. Just as surely as God spoke through in the transfiguration God spoke through the prophets when we look at his word, it's just as sure as God speaking from heaven and Peter, James, and John hearing those words in the transfiguration. These are the words of God. And the Bible says they were moved by the Holy Spirit. This word for moved, it's also used in Acts 27, where Paul is talking about, or Luke is talking about a shipwreck, and it says we were driven by the wind. These men were driven by the Spirit. When we look at this book we are looking at His Word. And so what I would say in conclusion is when we are looking for how to live our lives individually we are looking for what we do collectively this book has always got to be our standard I believe you believe that. I hope tonight may do a little to encourage you in that. And God bless and thank you for being here.